This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of articular cartilage from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. Articular cartilage is one of five forms of cartilage, hyaline or articular cartilage, fibroelastic cartilage, which is what the meniscus is made of, fibrocartilage, which is what is found at tendon and ligament insertions into bone, elastic cartilage, which is what the trachea is made of, and physeal cartilage, which is what is found at the growth plate. Now, let's talk a bit more about articular or hyaline cartilage components. We'll talk about function, composition, the extracellular matrix, and cells. With respect to function, articular cartilage decreases friction and distributes loads. Cartilage exhibits stress shielding of the solid matrix components due to its high water content, the incompressibility of water, and the structural organization of the proteoglycan and collagen molecules. With respect to composition of articular cartilage, this includes extracellular matrix and cells. With respect to the extracellular matrix, it's made up of water, 90% type 2 collagen, and proteoglycans. With respect to the cell composition, articular cartilage is made up of chondrocytes. As far as the percent by weight of articular cartilage composition, water has the highest percentage, followed by collagen, followed by proteoglycans, followed by non-collagenous proteins, and the least percentage by weight are cells. Now, let's talk a bit more about the extracellular matrix, which again is made up of water, collagen, and proteoglycans. With respect to water, it makes up 65 to 80% of the mass of the cartilage and accounts for 80% of the weight near the surface and 65% at the deep zone. Water content decreases with normal aging and increases with osteoarthritis. Increased water content leads to increased permeability, decreased strength, and a decreased Young's modulus of elasticity. As far as collagen, this makes up 10 to 20% of total cartilage mass. Type 2 collagen accounts for 90% to 95% of the total collagen content. This functions to provide a cartilaginous framework and tensile strength. Small amounts of types 5, 6, 9, 10, and 11 collagen are also present. Proteoglycans make up 10 to 15% of cartilage. They function to provide compressive strength and attract water. Agrican is most responsible for hydrophilic behavior. Proteoglycans are produced by chondrocytes, and remember that proteoglycans are composed of glycosaminoglycan subunits like chondroitin sulfate and keratin sulfate. As far as the cells that make up articular cartilage, chondrocytes produce collagen, proteoglycans, and enzymes. They're derived from chondroblasts that are trapped in lacunae and become chondrocytes. Chondrocyte metabolism responds to both mechanical and chemical stimuli. Mechanical stimuli include things like mechanical load and hydrostatic pressure, while chemical stimuli include growth factors and cytokines. Finally, remember that immature articular cartilage has stem cells, while mature articular cartilage does not. Now, let's talk about the layers of articular cartilage. Normal articular cartilage is composed of three zones and the tide mark. The zones are based on the shape of the chondrocytes and the orientation of the type 2 collagen. So as far as the zones of articular cartilage, you have the superficial or tangential zone, the intermediate zone, the deep layer, otherwise known as the basal layer, the tide mark, and subchondral bone. With respect to the superficial or tangential zone, type 2 collagen orientation is parallel to the joint. It has flattened chondrocytes, condensed collagen fibers, and sparse proteoglycans. It has the highest concentration of collagen and lowest concentration of proteoglycans. This is the only zone where articular cartilage progenitor cells have been found. Moving on to the intermediate zone, 
Type 2 collagen has an oblique or random organization in this layer, and this is the thickest layer with round chondrocytes and abundant proteoglycan content. In the deep or basal layer, type 2 collagen is perpendicular to the joint and crosses the tide mark. It has the highest concentration of proteoglycans, and there are round chondrocytes arranged in columns. Moving on to the tide mark, this is deep to the basal layer and separates the true articular cartilage from the deeper cartilage that is a remnant of the cartilage and laga which participated in endochondral ossification during longitudinal growth in childhood. The tide mark divides the superficial, uncalcified cartilage from the deeper, calcified cartilage. It's also the division between the nutritional sources for the chondrocytes. The tide mark is found only in joints and is most prominently in the adult and non-growing joint. Following the tide mark, you have subchondral bone. Now let's talk about some growth factors like PDGF, TGF-beta, basic fibroblast growth factor, and insulin growth factor 1. PDGF is thought to be involved with healing of articular cartilage lacerations. The effects are extrapolated from PRP, which contains PDGF. There are no adverse effects of PDGF in normal joints. Moving on to TGF-beta, this stimulates proteoglycan and extracellular matrix synthesis. It also decreases catabolic activity of IL-1 and matrix metalloproteinases. TGF-beta causes synovial proliferation and fibrosis and induces osteophyte formation. Basic fibroblastic growth factor stimulates DNA synthesis in articular chondrocytes. And finally, insulin growth factor 1, or IGF-1, stimulates DNA and cartilage matrix synthesis in adult articular cartilage. It stimulates extracellular matrix synthesis, decreases synovial thickening and chronic synovial inflammation, and it's additive when combined with TGF-beta. As far as nourishment and metabolism, remember that cartilage is avascular. However, it's nourished by synovial fluid at the surface and subchondral bone at the base. It relies on glycolysis for ATP production. Moving on to the mechanical stress response of articular cartilage, physiologic stress stimulates matrix synthesis and inhibits chondrolysis. Physiologic stress includes cyclic stress, moderate frequency, and low rates. Cyclic stress corresponds to 1 to 5 megapascals. Moderate frequency corresponds to 0.1 to 1 hertz. And low rates corresponds to less than 1,000 megapascals per second. Excess stress suppresses matrix synthesis and promotes chondrolysis. Excess stress corresponds to greater than 5 megapascals. Static load corresponds to 0.01 hertz. And high rates corresponds to greater than 1,000 megapascals per second. With respect to cellular responses, primary cilia act as a mechanosensory organ on chondrocytes and osteoblasts. Transduction of mechanical signals involves integrins. With respect to repetitive loading, moderate running increases cartilage thickness and proteoglycan content. Strenuous loading leads to cartilage thinning and proteoglycan loss. Immobilization leads to cartilage thinning, softening, and proteoglycan loss. Now let's talk about wear mechanics. We'll talk about forms of lubrication and mechanisms of wear. Forms of lubrication include elastohydrodynamic, boundary or slippery surfaces, boosted or fluid entrapment, hydrodynamic, and weeping. With respect to elastohydrodynamic, this is the main mechanism during dynamic joint function. It's associated with elastic deformation of articular surfaces, and remember that thin films of lubricant separates the surfaces. A fully congruent joint will not allow a fluid film to form. As far as boundary or slippery surfaces, remember that the bearing surface is non-deformable. 
lubricant only partially separates surfaces in a boundary form of lubrication, and finally remember that superficial zone proteins have a role in this lubrication mechanism. Boosted or fluid entrapment is a concentration of lubricating fluid in pools. It's trapped by regions of bearing surfaces that are making contact. In hydrodynamic lubrication, fluid separates surfaces when one surface is sliding on the other. And finally, in weeping forms of lubrication, fluid shifts out of articular cartilage in response to load, and surfaces are separated by hydrostatic pressure. As far as mechanisms of wear, the different forms include adhesion, abrasion, transfer, fatigue, and third body. Now let's talk about aging in articular cartilage. Age-related changes in articular cartilage include increases in chondrocyte size, protein count, stiffness where passive glycation leads to increased stiffness of collagen, and an increase in ratio of proteoglycan keratin sulfate to chondroitin sulfate. Age-related changes in articular cartilage also include a decrease in the absolute number of cells where the cartilage becomes hypocellular despite the fact that individual chondrocytes are increasing in size. Age-related changes in articular cartilage also includes a decrease in water content, which differentiates from osteoarthritis where water content actually increases. Other age-related changes in articular cartilage include decreases in solubility, proteoglycan size, and elasticity. As far as advanced glycosylation end products, or ages, these come from spontaneous non-enzymatic glycation of proteins where sugars like glucose, fructose, and ribose react with lysine or arginine residues. Because of the low turnover, articular cartilage is susceptible to advanced glycosylation end product accumulation. Accumulation of advanced glycosylation end products has been thought to play a role in the development of osteoarthritis of the knee and ankle. As far as the effects of advanced glycosylation end product formation, this includes modification of type 2 collagen by cross-linking of collagen molecules, which increases the stiffness and brittleness, as well as increases susceptibility to fatigue failure. Now, let's talk about various factors and how they differ in aging and osteoarthritis. With respect to water, in aging, water is decreased, and in osteoarthritis, it is increased. With respect to the modulus-slash-stiffness, in aging, this is increased or less elastic, and in osteoarthritis, it is decreased or more elastic. With respect to chondrocytes, in aging, chondrocytes are fewer but increased in size, while in osteoarthritis, chondrocyte cells cluster, especially in the late stage. As far as glycosaminoglycans, in aging, there is an increased keratin sulfate to chondroitin 4 sulfate ratio, and there is a constant chondroitin 6 sulfate, while in osteoarthritis, there is an increased chondroitin 4 sulfate to keratin sulfate ratio. As far as proteoglycans, in aging, there is an increased amount of decorin and a decreased proteoglycan size, while in osteoarthritis, proteoglycans are unbound from hyaluronate. As far as collagen, in the context of aging, there is increased collagen cross-linking slash brittleness, while in osteoarthritis, collagen is disorganized due to increased collagenase. Finally, with respect to advanced glycosylation end products in aging, these are increased, while in osteoarthritis, accumulation of advanced glycosylation end products are thought to lead to osteoarthritis of the knee and the ankle. Now, let's talk about healing in articular cartilage, specifically deep lacerations through the tide mark and superficial lacerations not through the tide mark. Deep lacerations lead to fibrocartilage healing. This occurs when the laceration travels through the tide mark and penetrates subchondral bone. Fibrocartilage is produced by undifferentiated marrow mesenchymal stem cells, 
and a healing response is initiated with hematoma, stem cell migration, and vascular ingrowth. This response produces type 1 collagen and results in fibrocartilage rather than desired hyaline cartilage as produced by chondrocytes. This repair cartilage has diminished resiliency, stiffness, poor wear characteristics, and the predilection for arthritis. Moving on to superficial lacerations not through the tide mark, this leads to chondrocyte proliferation, but no healing takes place because of the avascular nature of cartilage. Finally, relevant clinical conditions related to articular cartilage include articular defects of the knee and osteochondritis desiccans, which are two separate podcast episodes that you should be sure to listen to. That's all for this review about articular cartilage. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.